0: You're listening to the best of Halford & Broth. You're listening to Halford & Broth.
1: Back the other way, here comes Ottawa, 2-1-1. Chickren, Giroux, Chickren, Giroux. Gets it back, Giroux, scores! Flo Giroux wins it in overtime!
2: You know, Kuzmenko, we know they're looking around. I think they're going for it. You know, I I do. We asked you about Brooks, and you said, next question. Next question, because it was stupid.
3: Good morning, Vancouver 601, on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet six fifty. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning, Laddie. Good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star
0: Metal Recycling, they recycle you, get paid. Visit them at on 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Yeah, Kintec. You
3: know it's a big show when the intro includes a game-winning goal by the Ottawa Senators and Claude Giroux. Folks, it is not just NHL All-Star Week. It is also Super Bowl Week. plural. So we got to really, really, really push to bring the best sports content to you, the listener, for the next three hours. We're going to do that. I promise.
0: It's a four-guester. It's a four-guester, and each time there is a guest calling in, we'll go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline. The hotline is brought to you by, believe it or not, Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call. The only Call, uh, Greg. And we'll
3: Wischinski- make four of them today. Yeah, <laughs> we got to work on the tagline. Okay, it's a work in progress.
4: First call, the only call, <laughs> except when there's there's four calls. <laughs> so the first call, not the
3: only call, will be to Greg Wyszynski from ESPN. Uh, he joins us after a couple weeks away. Whilst on uh, paternity leave, so congrats to Greg ahead of time for the new addition to the family. Uh, okay, 7 o'clock, it's the Alberta Hour here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 6. We're going to talk about No beef. taxes. Yeah, we're going to talk about beef. We're going to talk about petroleum, our shared hatred of the Prime Minister. We're going to talk about it all <laughs> for the entire hour. 7 o'clock, <laughs> Bob Stoffer is going to join us at 7. He, of course, is the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Color man on the radio. He's also a Sportsnet uh, intermission panelist for the Oilers. I feel like, I feel like we have maybe collectively as a society not talked enough about the fact that the Oilers are one win away from matching the greatest winning streak in the history of the NHL. Not in the last 20 years, not in the modern era, ever. They are one win away from tying the 1992-1993 Pittsburgh Penguins with 17 wins. By the way, do you know who the third leading scorer was on that Pittsburgh Penguins team back in 92-93? Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett, everybody. I feel like we should, if we ever get him on the show, Mm -hmm. we should ask him, what's it like to win 17 games in a row? Yeah. And he's like, well, having... Yager and Lemieux help.
4: <laughs> was that pre-overtime, or did he
0: have overtimes back
3: then? Uh, they had overtimes Who back
0: then. Who was Rick Tockett on the Oilers? If Yager and Lemieux were David and Dreisaitl? Zach- 100% he, he, Zach, Zach Hyman.
3: Hyman. I don't know yeah. if he would appreciate that comparison, but mm-hmm. he's 100% Zach Hyman. Rick Tockett had 48 goals and 109
0: points that year. I know, and he probably spent 200 pen- minutes in the in the penalty box, too. 252. Right? Imagine all that time he wasted in there. He could have been out there scoring. <laughs> but
3: he got to watch a really good team play. So it works out. Checks and balances, everybody. Uh, 7 o'clock, Bob Stauffer is going to join us. 7.30, Randy Sportak. He covers the Calgary Flames for the hockey news. And I'm going to ask him, when are the Calgary Flames going to trade Elias Lindholm and Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin and everybody else that won't be back with the team next year? They got to start trading guys soon, right? I also realized that. You know, our Elias is going to the All-Star game, and he's going to be peppered with questions mm-hmm. about his future. Calgary's Elias is doing the same thing. Right. Just probably not as many questions. They're like, oh, you're here. Good for you. He might actually yeah. answer some of them. <laughs> and then they'll look at his stats. and be like, how
4: did you get here? They should interview in tandem. <laughs> they should. <laughs> at the same time, stepbrother style. The, P- the P-D- LII
0: PD just standing behind him. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
4: Where's the other one? <laughs> anyway. We can see you behind Lindholm, PD.
3: Please um, move. So that's the Alberta Hour. Eight o'clock. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Canucks aren't back in action for a bit. We'll look back on Saturday's game. We can talk about the latest name to hit the, the trade rumor mill. Good job picking up on Zadorov a couple days ahead of everyone else doing it. Mm-hmm. That's Jason Bruff, everybody. He's got the inside scoop. Working in reverse. Eight o'clock. Brendan Batchelor. Seven thirty. Randy Sportak. Seven o'clock. Excuse me. Bob Stoffer, and six thirty. Greg Wachinski. That is what's happening on the program today, Laddie. Tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I
0: was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What
3: happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. I wasn't even joking about playing that Giroux highlight. We might do it again. I think we might not, though. But the only game in the National Hockey League last night. We are in a little bit of a doldrum week here. And the Ottawa Senators, yes, the Ottawa Senators, a 4-3 overtime victory against Nashville. We won't spend a ton of time talking about this. They were J- down 3 nothing, I think. They were. It was a huge comeback. And then Brady Kachuk said afterwards, it's like, it's time to show everybody what we're all about. And I was like, you should have done that from the start of the year. Yeah, I thought that was the plan this year to stop doing these. Yeah.
0: these uh, the Canucks did it. No the one Canuck, waits until the all The All-Star had break. a great great start, and look at them now. Um, I, the, the only thing I'll, I'll say about this is uh, I, I do wonder if the Senators could be players at the trade deadline. Do you still want Tarasenko? See, I don't like the way that this is being framed. I'd like to, to take, take a cause moment. Because you, you were pining. You were pining for Vladimir Tarasenko. Pining.
3: I don't like the way it's being framed now. Never mind back then. Um, so that the game was on, I checked. It was on November 9th. Remember those days? We were so much, so much simpler then. So much more naive. We didn't know what the Canucks were going to be just mm-hmm. then. We knew that they were okay. They got off to a really good start. They were 10-2-1. But we were thinking things like, is this sustainable? When does the regression come? what's this p d o everyone's talking about so anyway uh you're, i you're st- you still don't know i, I was like it, the, the the it's not even an acronym
4: anyway pierre something PR,
3: Pierre pierre doion out <laughs> I that came up with that on the spot i just came <laughs> up with that i deserve credit for that anyway um I just kind of said, oh, you know, we're going to talk about potential trade targets. Vladimir Tarasenko's out there because he's on a one-year deal and he's a pending UFA, etc., etc. At that time, see, now this is where I I erred in my judgment. I kind of thought that the Canucks were still going to be a team that was fighting for their playoff lives. Right? And I'm like, if, if they're buyers, that could be a guy. So I don't, like, actually, I still think he'd be a pretty decent pickup for someone. He's actually got really good numbers. He's got better numbers than Elias Lindholm, who's going to the All-Star game. And is apparently the big bell of the ball going into the trade deadline. But um he he's gonna be a different like caliber of pickup. I, yeah. I know you've mentioned that as well. He's got a
0: full no, no trade clause, so he he uh he could be got for pretty cheap. That's if, what I if, think, yeah. If he um sets his sights on like one team. Do you remember when like Patty Kane did that? Yeah. And they're like, that's it for Patrick Kane. It's like Yeah, because he only wanted to go to the Rangers. Yeah, like I don't, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a a game breaker
3: for anyone at this stage of the game, but you could do worse than adding a guy as a depth forward who he's going to have like 20 goals and 50 points, 25 goals, 50 points this year. He's not bad, but um, the Canucks right now uh, are very clearly. Exploring the possibility of big game hunting. I think that's a fair way to put it. Every insider right now is talking about, they're not looking at second and third tier guys. Like, free chat out there, and I guess we can jump into the audio right now, talking about Gensel, talking about Elias Lindholm. And then I don't know if you want to put Adam Henrique in that conversation, but it's very clear that the Canucks are, they're, they're all in. They're
0: going for it, Jason. Can they're I, going for can it. Can I tell you a little quick story about last night? I love a little night, quick story. I was, um, I was so desperate to watch some sports on TV that I landed somewhere I I rarely land. On an NBA game, which one? It was actually a pretty good game. Milwaukee and Denver. That was a big game. Yeah, because it was Doc Rivers making his debut uh, as head coach of Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, I loved how Denver scored like something like the Denver won and scored like 115 points, 113, and Milwaukee was like, we played well defensively. It's a it's a new NBA. Uh, Also, I I have a question that might make me seem very foolish to people that listen to the NBA a lot. When um did the home team start wearing their dark uniforms and the road team mm-hmm. start wearing their white uniforms? And why is it whenever I tune into an NBA game, it takes to figure out which teams are which because everyone's got like a thousand different jerseys and again road teams are are wearing like it's it's used to be very simple in the NBA like it used to be very simple in the NHL but that changed a long time ago and everyone did it but do you have any idea on this have you noticed this like uh, I'm watching this game last night I'm like wait a minute where is this being played yeah
3: it's a thing actually the the athletic wrote about it recently within Mm -hmm. the last week and I didn't get a chance to read the entire article did you no um I, they, but they did say that you're not – this isn't just like an anomaly or right. that you just happen to pop into the games where the home team is no longer wearing white. Like, it's a thing, right? And the other part of it is that the teams – I know part of the, the
0: – Have you not noticed this? I thought yes. You, I thought you watched a lot of NBA. I.
3: I you know what? I never notice um, the color schemes to begin with. Like, I, I just watch, right? Like I, I don't see color. I don't see color. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the part of the the Rubiks he's, or the he's al- colorblind, Ru- yeah, I don't I don't see anything. Um, part of the Rubiks or the algorithm here is that they've got so many jerseys now that they've sort of seeded it to the home team to decide oh, what see. they want to wear because okay. they've got okay, they've got um, <laughs> they have names for all of them. They have like city jerseys. So right? the white jersey okay. is called the Icon Jersey. All right. The dark jersey is called the Statement Jersey. Sorry, the white jersey is the association. The dark jersey is the icon. The alternate is the statement. And then there's the city edition one, right? right? And then some teams threw in a fifth, the classic jersey, the throwback to the old Ah, school ones. So, yeah, it becomes really confusing. Between that and then their fancy courts that they change up, you never know what's going on. My
0: story continues because uh, I was watching the NBA and I was like, oh, my God, are we going to have to start what happened with a lot of NBA talk? And then... uh, I see this little name trending on on X, yep. formerly Twitter, and I and I'm like, hmm, why is Nikita Zadorov trending on Twitter? And uh, apparently, Freich had said something on the Merrick Show about Nikita Zadorov possibly being available, poss- possibly being moved by the Canucks uh, to create cap space. Um, so I think we should. Uh, dig into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's play the audio first. Here's Frege and Merrick talking about the Canucks ahead of the trade deadline.
2: I think they're going for it. You know, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder about a couple of guys like in terms of, you know, Kuzmenko, we know they're looking around. I've wondered about Chicago in the last couple of days. Like, you know, if you look at what Chicago's doing, they're looking for guys who aren't signed beyond two years, right? Look, like, Foligno, two years, yep. Dickinson, two years, Mrazic, two years. You know, Kuzmenko's uh, one more year, and they need, they need scoring. So oh. I, I kind of wonder about that. You know, I, I wonder a bit about Zadorov too. Like, I think they're going to clear some room to open up. Um, I think they're going to clear some room to open up the ability for them to do something, whether it's... Lindholm or it's Henrik or it's Gensel or someone who I haven't thought of yet. Uh, I, I Like, look, to me, the Canucks are looking at it and saying we're going for it. So, um, first of all,
0: I'll admit that... Was it last week when we were talking about Zdorov? Yes, and this week. But and last week, no, we no, f- no. floated the idea. We floated the idea, okay? I'd heard a little rumor. I'd heard, but I didn't want to come out and say that I'd heard a rumor about... Nikita Zadorov possibly being made available cuz I didn't 1000% trust the rumor and I didn't think it was responsible so I kind of just came up with a discussion point is like do you think they do you think they'd maybe trade a guy like Zadorov because they don't see him as a guy that they want to sign long term mm-hmm. and also my main point was you know we keep hearing them we keep hearing them, you know, say they we keep hearing reports that they want to go after a guy like TANF, right? Or they'd be interested in TANF. Um, well, if you bring in TANF, first of all, you got to clear cap space somewhere and you know if you, they also want to bring in a top six forward. So yes, would that all get done with Kuzmenko Cap space or would you have to move someone else out? And, you know, when you combine it with the Zdorov rumor that I did here, I was kind of like, mm, I wonder if they'd consider moving him. Now, it's been an interesting past little while for Zdorov because he's done some good things out there, like sticking up for teammates. It's been physical. I thought, I think he's played fairly well at times. Mm-hmm. He also made a pretty bad mistake and got benched for an entire period by the Canucks. Mm -hmm. So it does make me wonder, hearing this stuff, if there's something to this and something to the fact that maybe they brought him in and in theory they like the idea of this big dude who plays nasty and they like it, like the idea for the playoffs, but maybe there's something about his game that they don't love. Well, I like Or maybe they're just like uh, they've got targeted another player that they like more. I liked the notion
3: that you threw out there that it might have been uh Zadorov as a stopgap measure to fill the void left when Carson Soucy suffered his first of two fairly significant injuries, right? Mm. And the earlier one kept him on the sidelines for close to 2 months almost. It was also at a time where um, the Canucks had sort of been sputtering a bit. Remember, there was that stretch in, I think it was late November, early December, where they essentially played 500 hockey over like a 10-game stretch, 12-game stretch. And there was real concern about whether Noah Jewelson could play uh, a regular 82-game, as a bottom pair, like a full, full-time NHL defenseman. Right. Uh, Zadorov came in and did what the club asked. He stabilized the back end. It allowed Juleson to fall into that seventh defenseman role. Uh, He did a lot of the things that you like about Nikita zadorov He's big and physical and nasty and fought and did all those things. I just wonder if the Canucks are now looking at it and saying, thank you for your service. You've done very well here. You were never long for this gig anyway. So let's start exploring Mm -hmm. alternative options. Now, the cap doesn't
0: necessarily mean that they're going to trade him, though, right? Like, you you can put his name out there and say, like, hey... um, Let us know what you think about this player because we might try and upgrade. Don't forget the Canucks are in (laughs) first in the league, right? So they obviously see this as an opportunity season. So if they can upgrade areas, um, then they're going to try and do it. Now, before you get to whatever you're going to get to, we should – uh mentioned that through Rick Dollywall, who was sent into a real tizzy, I imagine, after hearing the Zadoroff rumors. Mm. I mean with Dan Milstein with uh you know, there could be two clients moved out. Um through Dollywall Uh, Dan Milstein, the agent for Zdorov, says he does not believe the rumors that the Canucks will trade Zdorov. Uh, Milstein tells uh, Rick Dollywall, who told him yesterday, that he does not expect Zdorov to be moved at the deadline. So that's his
3: side of the story. Sure. I mean, look, if we wanted to go even further with the two Milstein clients that are in this conversation, Kuzmenko... And Zadorov, it's hard not to look at it and realize that moving their money out would represent $9 million collectively off your cap. Now, money would presumably be coming back in some way, shape, or form, but Kuzmenko's at five and a half. And, you know, although it's not much, he does make more than Susie and Cole and Juleson. So you could make the argument that in terms of making your financial dollars stretch and what's the most efficient use of that money, he's not it. This is not in any way to disrespect the player, because I really like him. I'd love to see him stay long-term, personally, but that's more from an entertainment value side of things. Uh, I think the important thing to look at here isn't necessarily who's coming up in the conversations. The important thing to realize here is that in that clip that we just played, Elliot Friedman bookended it with, they're going for it, and they're going for it. Yeah, The Canucks are very much in the mode of, this isn't... Well, we'll reward the guys and maybe add a a nice tiny little piece to the roster to give them a push going into the playoffs. This Mm -hmm. is we're tops in the NHL at the All-Star break. We haven't lost more than two games consecutively all season long. We're healthy. We're dynamic. We've got uh, trophy leading trophy candidates for all the significant awards at the end of the year. We are not just about getting in and seeing what happens. We are in go-for-it mode. Now, when you're in that mode, it means you have to explore every single potential option to improve your club. Some of them might not be popular. Some of them might ruffle the feathers of particular player agents. But the reality of it is, is you're not doing your job as an executive if you're not looking at every single way to upgrade your team. And if it's unconventional, like bringing in a defenseman midway through the season and then potentially moving them out, It doesn't matter if it's conventional or not, because the job here, again, as Freach put out there, is to go for it. Mm -hmm. And if you're in go for it mode, then you may as well be all in on it and go for it for real. Right.
0: I wonder what the listeners would say if we were to ask the question, who would you rather have on the team, Nikita Zadorov or Chris Tanev?
3: That's an interesting one. My initial knee-jerk gut reaction would be Tanev. I think there's a lot of people that would like Zdorov. I think Tanev, and it's funny because some people say, well, Zdorov's the kind of stuff you want in the playoffs. I actually think that Tanev's style might be more beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think Zadorov's style would be bigger and louder and more like maybe grabbing more, and eye-popping and eye-catching. More mistake-prone? Potentially. I think, you put it this way, if you were to tell me who would I trust more in a one-game-seven, let's not make any mistakes out there, let's block a lot of shots and make it low-event hockey...
0: 10 of your guy, right? I also think I, I can't get out of my mind the time that <laughs> Zodorov and Myers were paired together. It was against Philly, and I think they were already down 3 nothing. And Zodorov tried to go on a rush, and he didn't make it past the first flyer. And, and Myers was like, We're going for this. So Myers was with him. And then Zodorov turned it over, and I think Joel Farabee went back and. Scored and made it four nothing. It was listen. It was only it didn't cost the Canucks the game. They were already losing, but it was a shockingly bad play and also very funny, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it was it, it was kind of entertaining. Um, and then was it against St. Louis that he got recently that that he got benched yep. for the period? Like when he didn't tie up a stick of uh, was Toropchenko um, who scored. Like that's, look. Everyone makes mistakes, right? And but that was a that was a bad mistake. I remember watching that. And I'm like, dude, you're a big, strong guy. Yep. You got to be able to tie up a stick in front of the net. And actually, you know, Zadora failed to tie up a stick in the last game too. So. Um, I'm not I'm not there's a lot good that he's done as well. I like his skating, I like his size, I like his willingness to uh stick up for his teammates and I think that would be something that I'd like to see in the playoffs. But if you're asking me Zadorov or Tanev, it's a tough one because I realize that Tanev gets hurt because of his style a lot, but um you <sighs> You know, you could have an option of Quinn Hughes with Tanev or Quinn Hughes with Philip Peronik. I think that could be key because then you could move down Philip Peronik to play with a guy like Susie or Ian Cole. I just think it would give them more lefty righty options, especially if they don't 100% trust Juleson in the playoffs. There's a lot of people texting into Juleson, for me, would be the perfect, like the ideal seventh defenseman to have in the playoffs as opposed to having him in there right away. The, the, The role that Juleson plays when Susie is healthy is
3: perfect. Seventh defenseman, you trust him to jump in if you're in a pinch you could find far worse options to come into the lineup. That's great. Now, a lot of people are texting into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 on the subject of Chris Tanev about his health or lack thereof. Folks, you got to start paying attention. The Chris Tanev is always hurt narrative has completely been flipped on his head since he's gone to Calgary. He's missed like 12 games in three years since he's been in Calgary. As a matter of fact, his first year, uh, or sorry, second year in Calgary, He played all 82 games for the first ever time in his NHL career. This year, he's played 46. He's played basically in every single game for the Flames. It's all purely speculation anyway, because the other big part of this is that you can guarantee that a lot of teams that are going to the playoffs will probably be in on Chris Tanev. He's the kind of guy that a lot of teams would love to have on their blue line, just in terms of the shot blocking and his veteran experience, so it's not to say that the Canucks are going to be the you know the front runners. I think the thing here is that there's an even more of a innate connection because of the history and because mm-hmm. you know no one liked the way that he left, and he's talked about his affinity for the city and for the market. Well, he's, and he's played with Hughes, and he's played with Hughes. That's the big one, right? All of a sudden, you want to talk about giving your coaching staff. A lot more options and versatility and variety. In you terms remember, of they
0: went kicking and screaming into the season with Hughes and Hronik together. They and it's been great. It, it has been good. Great. but Yeah, it's been great. But, you know, I, I do think versatility and options um, are nice as well. James from Richmond, I don't believe Zadorov will be traded. He is what's needed for a long playoff run. If anything, the team might let him walk in the offseason as his acquisition cost was very low. Anyways, um, here's another text. Is there a world where the Canucks could have both Zudorov and Tanev on the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you could you could um, trade Kuzmenko, clear his cap space, go out and get Tanev, and then get a lesser player with whatever's left over. But, you know, the, the, they need an upgrade to the top six. That's what they need most of all. I'd agree. That's what they need most of all. So, I don't know, the way my simple mind looks at it is you trade Kuzmenko and you get a forward with his cap space. And if you really do want to get Tanev, then you're going to have to make a hard decision. And that hard decision might be trading Nikita Zadorov. You're listening to the best
4: of Halford and Broff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Broff.
3: Back
0: to the Canucks stock we
3: go. Uh, Sportsman's very own Ian McIntyre. Has a new piece up at sportsnet.ca. Go check it out on the internet. The headline is, <clears throat> with new identity under talk it nothing feels impossible
4: for the Canucks. Nothing? Nothing. Even flying? Nothing is impossible. If they really, really try, they might be able to do it.
0: Anything's possible.
4: Anything possible! So, yes, Greg! Like that's he why was he's
0: trying good. to fly. Possible! So I read that headline, and then, of course, I read the article. I just read um, the headline. What's the article just, about? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's about the, the penalty kill. Nice. Um, and I was going to throw this out to the listeners, and also to you, Halford, and the dogs, if they want to participate. How much have you allowed yourself to dream about this year's Canucks team? Like, or, or maybe how much do you now expect from this Canucks team what feels possible for you like do you think it could actually happen that they could I can't even even say it could they win the Stanley Cup do you expect them to make a run in the playoffs and I think the um, the question that might help you find out what your expectations are is how mad would you be if they get to the playoffs and they go out in the first round Will any of you just be happy to be there? Just be part of the playoff atmosphere? Oh, the, the towels are out again. I like that. You know, it's an electric atmosphere. And But the Canucks say they go out in, you know, six games to the LA Kings or the Vegas Golden Knights. Are you furious at that? Because for me, the cup dream is still a bridge too far because it's been too... hasn't been long enough between, between whatever last season was and what it is right now. Granted, like, I don't have much experience with expecting a cup or... No, you, you don't. You know, like, the only season I went into with a real favorites mentality was 2010-11. I've imagined in seasons past, you know, a series win or two. But honestly, even heading into the 1994 Stanley Cup final against the Rangers, heading into that, so it's the Stanley Cup final, and I'm like, yeah, like they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and they nearly did. But that Rangers team... If people remember and some of you may not remember, like they were the team of destiny. That Multiple year. Hall of Famers. They were the team that was going to get it done. And the Canucks were significant underdogs outside of Vancouver. The Canucks were almost like they're just the team that the Rangers are going to play to win the Stanley Cup. And unfortunately, the Rangers ultimately really did win the Stanley Cup. So I would just like to know from the listeners, like, where are you guys? with this team right now. I'm hearing all sorts of people saying, oh, I want them to go for it. And I understand that. And I think the management is thinking that too, but like, do you honestly think it could actually happen? So
3: the conversation is complex to put it mildly, because you have to weigh uh, the present, the current state of the team, and you almost have to acknowledge and then decide whether or not you want your history of Canucks fandom to play into this. Because historically, I've kind of been trained to expect the worst or really not have high expectations because it's always ended in disappointment.
0: Well, it's also very difficult to win the Stanley Cup.
3: And herein lies the second part of it. Is that in 2011, tick mandatory 2011 reference for the day, um, the sheer roller coaster of that playoff run, I think encapsulated why expectations are totally useless right I remember here's the chronology of it I remembered exactly like this the day prior to the end of the regular season I was super excited about the Canucks chances to go deep in the playoffs then when I found out they drew Chicago in the first round that was that enthusiasm was dampened Then that enthusiasm was raised because they went up 3-0 in the series. Then it cratered. And I was like, this isn't just going to be a first-round exit. It's going to be the the worst first-round exit ever. Oh,
0: my God.
3: Then they started handling their business in a way that you thought it was an inevitability. They had gotten over the hard part. Chicago. Nashville, no problem. San Jose, no problem. Didn't even push them past game six. Had a little help from the stanchion. Yeah, but that was game five, right? If the stanchion wasn't there, they had plenty of other kicks at the can. The point being is that when they got to the Stanley Cup final, um, I think I allowed myself to think that that was going to be not the easy part, but that the, the heavy lifting and the real challenges had been met. And what a foolish thought that was. Well, especially when they went up 2 nothing, too. I was like, mm. they're going to win the Cup. Now, here's the, the the other part of this is that I feel like it's unfair to the current crop of Canucks to project past failures onto them because what they're doing right now should be celebrated in a vacuum as tremendous, tremendous growth, tremendous potential,
0: and tremendous excitement for what might come in the playoffs. Matt from Maple Ridge texts in, and I could have sent this text. He texts in 2011 felt certain, the team felt unbeatable. That was the mood. This team came out of nowhere. It's almost like we all got blindsided. And although statistically, on many levels, we are doing incredible, it doesn't feel certain. I'm more hopeful and optimistic than confident. Well, I'd say, yeah, I don't even know if I'd use optimistic. That would be my. I'd say I'm more hopeful than confident. I mean,
3: look. But, but, I'm, but, look, but I just want to. I just. I didn't wanna...
0: expect the Canucks to be where they are right now. So hopefully, this is just a. You know, I know we try and match. Um, you know, our brains are. They pick up patterns, right? So they mm-hmm. think, you know, okay, well, to win the Stanley Cup, first of all, you got to you know the the way it goes is you're a bad team and then you get better and eventually you make the playoffs and then you get to the playoffs and you learn a lesson in the playoffs and maybe it takes you a few years like those losses to Chicago um before 2010 2011 and then you keep learning and maybe some of those other teams get worse and then all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat and you finally get over the hump and then you either get to the final or you actually win the cup, right? Like there is a progression that happens. It doesn't happen that you're like the laughing stock of the league, which the Canucks were like a year ago. Like just and and then the next year you win the Stanley Cup.
3: Now I thought about that. I actually thought about that last night. The I'm Blues like, did it, it in one season. Right. <laughs> okay. Good. I want to go on. I want to. I want to expand on that because there was something about the, the Blues lin- were a good team the seasons. It's, it's before an outlier. That right? no, no, but it's not Nothing. an outlier because the the linear progression theory is great, except that last year a Stanley Cup finalist came from a Florida team that was kind of just whatever.
0: Mid is the word.
3: Two years prior, and we're going into the bubble here, and I know you will have an asterisk beside it, but we're talking Montreal was a Stanley Cup finalist. Dallas was a Stanley Cup finalist. The year prior to Dallas, it was the St. Louis Blues going from worst to first. The year prior to that, it was an expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights going to the final and losing to the Washington Capitals. And then you had Nashville making a Stanley Cup final, and you had the San Jose Sharks finally getting over the hump of making a Stanley cup final and the San Jose Sharks were the last true linear progression team. I would say where it was this group of guys that went through the losses and went time and time again to the playoffs and got there. All I'm saying is that there are instances over the last five or six years in the national hockey league where there is a, a one year wonder or a team that just gets hot and goes far in the playoffs, doesn't win at all. Because I do think there's an element of either luck running out, magic running out, or quite frankly, last year in the case of the Florida Panthers, just getting burned out. Like, we spent everything to get to this point. Well, facing pretty tough opponents increasingly as you go yeah. along. Too. And
0: then you're just done by the end of it, but right? Maybe. And I do wonder if... That- I do have a problem with people bringing up that St. Louis team as just this team that went from worst yeah. to first. Like, yeah, they, they were good. If you paper. look at their seasons beforehand, I mean, they missed the playoffs the year before, but... They were a 94 point team. They 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 weren't an embarrassing team. And the years before that, um, when they were under like Mike Gill was not a good coach for them, but maybe he'll be a better coach for the Canucks as an assistant. But like he, yeah. you know, he, it, it, it didn't work with him. But when they had Hitch as their coach, like they're a hundred point team. Multiple seasons they made it to conference finals, and a lot of those players that were part of those hundred point teams. We're part of that team that ultimately won the Stanley Cup. Plus, Let, they added some good players. Let's right?
3: look at it this way then. All of these teams had good players and good talent, and the potential to be good they just happened to get hot at the exact right time which is not what not nobody wants to hear cuz no one wants to hear about getting on a heater but the blues got on a heater florida last year barely made the playoffs mm-hmm. and florida should have been out in the first round against boston they scored with a minute left in game 7 in regulation well, of force overtime if you
0: look back at histories there's a lot of stanley cup winners that easily could have been out in the first round like the boston bruins in 2011 who needed overtime in game 7 against the habs and well, that may
4: be though yeah. maybe this is the Hockey God's way of rewarding Canucks fans for 53 year, 54 years of, of pain. It's like, okay, yep. we're going to give you guys one year where literally nothing goes wrong. You don't have any injuries. I'm knocking on wood so hard right now. You have don't have any injuries. You go all the way to the finals and win the cup. We'll give you this I'm- one year before something bad happens again. And maybe that's the Hockey God's way of apologizing to Canucks fans for all of the scars and the torment we've been through.
0: I'm sorry. I... Blacked out after you said, I'm <laughs> knocking on wood so hard right now.
4: I knew what I was just saying at the time, and I instantly He's regretted it. He's getting excited, it. folks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm a teenager I, all over again. I'm still in disbelief <laughs> and waiting for something to go wrong, but I've also hit the point now where I'm like, okay, this team is something special. I, I hope they at least win a couple rounds, but if they somehow make the finals, maybe this is our year, baby.
3: Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Good morning. How's it going, guys? Uh, we're well. I hope you're doing well as well. I don't know if you were listening to the show. I trust everybody is. But in case you weren't, uh, we were talking about Ian McIntyre's latest piece for Sportsnet.ca. It's up now. The headline is, with new identity under talk it, nothing feels impossible for the Canucks. So, Batch, I know you're a consummate professional. I know objectivity is key. But do you ever <laughs> allow yourself to dream and wonder, what if, what if this is the year? What if what we're seeing is real with these Vancouver Canucks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think only more so recently when it's, it's been clear that, you know, it wasn't just a strong start or a good 20-game stretch or 30-game stretch or anything like that, that now you're at the all-star break. They're tied for first in the league. They're tops in the conference. The Edmonton Oilers have gone on this historic winning streak and yet haven't actually made up that much ground on the Canucks because, of course, the Canucks have points in their last 11 games, you know, to their own credit. And you start to think about that and you start to look forward and, and look at what this team might look like in a playoff series or, or how they might match up against some of the other top teams in the West. And based on the way they played for most of this year, you can, you know, find a path or at least convince yourself of their ability to compete with any team in the league. And, and whenever you have that, you've got a chance. Now, lots of things have to go right for you. You have to stay healthy. You have to to get bounces that go your way in key moments. And and we'll see how that sort of unfolds down the stretch here after the All-Star break and then into the postseason. But, you know, absolutely, you have to look at this team and say that they have the best chance to contend for a Stanley Cup of any Canucks team in the last decade, if not longer than that. Is it...
0: (laughs) Is it just too crazy to imagine that they could actually do it though?
1: Yeah, I mean, as someone that's followed this team my whole life and and has seen, you know, them them fall short multiple times in a variety of different ways, there is always that thinking about it that, you know, how how is it going to go wrong or where is this run going to end or, you know, when when is the winning going to dry up and when are they going to struggle. But at the same time, you know, in theory it's gotta happen sometime, right? So, you know, this group should be looking at the way they played this year and the position they put themselves in and say, why not us and and why not now? And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do prior to the trade deadline to complement this team. Um but they they've got a chance and that's not something I ever would have expected to be saying, you know, six months let alone, you know, this time last year when they were trading Bo Horvat at, at the All-Star break. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess we'll wait and see. And, you know, the, the odds are that this isn't the year just because it's so hard to win a Stanley Cup. And there's so many things that can go wrong. And, and you know, kind of as, as Jim Rutherford alluded to at the start of the year when talking about making the playoffs, everything needs to go right well, everything needs to go right for you to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup too. So uh, they've been a a very fortunate team this year for the most part with injuries on top of the fact that they've played some tremendous hockey and they'll need that good fortune to continue to carry with them here the rest of the way. What kind of player do you think
0: is going to play best with Elias Pettersson if they are indeed chasing a player to play with him?
1: Yeah, Talkett talks a lot about north south guys and and straight ahead players to complement star players and and you know I've talked to him about this on a, a few occasions and he kind of alludes to you know having played with guys like Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Yager, and they liked predictable players who could get up and down the ice who they could find in in moments where they're trying to set someone up and then conversely who you know were were capable of finding them in in key scoring areas and um, you know, so so I do wonder. Like uh, that's the thing. First of all, is are they targeting a player to play with Elias Patterson, or are they targeting a player that can anchor their second line so they can go back to the Lotto line? And I think based on who they acquire, we'll get the answer to that question. Like if they target someone that can play the middle, then maybe they're thinking that Patterson fits better on the Lotto line, or if they target someone like Jake Gensel on the wing, then maybe they're thinking that he could be the kind of guy that compliments Pedersen. But I think the thing that's clear is that Pedersen needs better quality on his wings. If he's going to center his own line and, you know, Andre Kizmenko has had a tough year. Ilya Mikheyev I think is a good player that could fit on a line with Pedersen, but as that third piece, not as the tandem that you're relying on. And so if they are indeed targeting Um, someone to play with Pedersen, then you're looking at a winger that could score, that can get in on the forecheck and retrieve pucks that is maybe a little bit more aggressive physically and is capable of finding Pedersen in some of those soft scoring areas so that he can put the puck in the net.
0: I wonder if they're kind of agnostic about either as long as they land an impact player. Do you know what I mean? Like if Gensel's the guy, then all right, he can play with Petey. If Lindholm's the guy, then okay, line together i wonder if they actually have a, a strong feeling about one or the other just that the player that they land makes an impact
1: yeah and I, lindholm's a fascinating one to me because he could be either because he can play center he can play the wing so you could even put him with miller and besser if you wanted to uh or you could put Peterson there and put lindholm down the middle. Um, so, you know, there's there's options there. I think Lindholm is a, a power play player that could complement um, the top unit, not that Gensel isn't. He certainly would be uh, a breath of fresh air on the man advantage for them as well. But I agree, and I think anytime Rutherford has been asked about it or spoken about it, he hasn't said, we need a winger for Pedersen, or he hasn't said, we need a centerman. He said, we need a top six forward. And it may just come down to, you know what is the more realistic trade target on the market when they get the opportunity to make a move like if you're going to have to pay a premium for a center and a winger is going to be more affordable then maybe it makes more sense to bring in the winger conversely if you know it makes sense to to bring in a centerman and i think one of the under discussed things about lindholm and and not to go sort of negative Vancouver media and analyzing it this way. I know
3: where you're going with this, by the way, and I'm super excited because I was going to ask you about it. So
1: go Lindholm to me, he's a pending UFA obviously, but he's a center Iceman. And I do wonder if in the event that Elias Patterson is not going to stay here long-term extending Lindholm is a way to kind of cover up for that loss to a certain extent. Look, you're not going to replace Elias Patterson if that happens But Lindholm is a legitimate top six NHL centerman that if, for whatever reason, and again, this is pure speculation because Pedersen has not made it clear to basically anyone what his plans are going forward, but I'm just saying that short term Lindholm helps you and then in the long term he could help you too if you have to withstand the loss of one of your star players.
3: See, I heard you talk about this with Drance on Canucks Talk. I think it was last week. And I I, I raised an eyebrow. I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting sort of like moving pieces on the chessboard. You know, looking ahead two or three steps down the road and having a contingency plan. And I could hear Drance. I could see you could actually envision the sort of like gears working in his head. He's like, ah,
0: interesting. And there is some. They better not give. I mean, if they do something like that. There's a lot of people saying that Lynn, and this is last year, was going to get the Bo Horvat contract. Well, Bo Horvat had an incredible contract here. Lindholm is not having an incredible contract here. I wonder how I honestly wonder how much money he's costing himself with the season that he's having.
3: Yeah, let's not go too like, far down, you, Let's I, not go I too wonder, far down the road and start tabling an extension for the guy considering he has not been moved, but No, but just as a, conceptually, <laughs> conceptually I like it because it kind of shows a versatility within your plan where it's like, okay, if things don't work out, are you able to maneuver? Are you able to pivot? Are there like, options? Like when B, the fl- C and D? Like,
0: like when the Flames pivoted and signed Johnny or, or John John Huber or Huberto uh, and and Kadri, and that's worked out terrific, right?
3: Exactly. Because you, you need
1: had
0: to, options. Yeah, had, had had, they had to save the day. The roadmap doesn't just go
3: in one direction. Jason, need a lot of different mm-hmm. options. Yeah, that's worked out really well.
1: Well, and and one thing about this too, and I think I said this with Drance when we were talking about it is. I'm thinking this way, but I don't think the Canucks management group should be. I think Fair. their primary focus at the deadline should be targeting a player that gives this team the best chance to win now, because this might be this core group's best chance to win. When you look at the, you know, pet, potential Pedersen extension, Hironik extension, more OEL buyout cap hit going forward the number of ufas they have down their lineup that they may not be able to bring back like joshua and bluger and ian cole and we've talked about these guys in the past so as much as like you know i guess maybe it's a typical vancouver thing like you're ready to get hurt so you're trying to build in contingencies for the team to to overcome something like the loss of petterson at the same time This management group should be focusing on acquiring the player that they think is the best fit to help this team win this year, I think, anyway.
0: Batch, if you could power rank all the reasons why the Canucks have been able to turn around this season, maybe it's the coaching staff, maybe it's Quinn Hughes taking his game to a whole new level, maybe it's Thatcher Demko rediscovering his game or structure or... For because for me like if at the top of the list for me it's the bottom six like the, yeah and, and 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 how they've changed the dynamic from the Canucks that you don't have to hide your bottom six you actually want to in some ways like accentuate it and that. Especially that Garland line with Bluger and Joshua. I think for me, I'm not discounting any of the other reasons. I mean, I do think the coaching staff has done an incredible job, and I do think Quinn Hughes has taken his game to another level. There's a lot. It might be the bottom six improvement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked for many years in this market about them needing a third line center, and Teddy Bluger has come in and been that and more, and that line has been basically a second line for this team, even though they're slotted in as the third line, because the second line is the line that we're talking about them needing to improve or upgrade at the trade deadline that, you know, hasn't been the the difference maker that you might've hoped. Whereas that third line certainly has. And, you know, looking forward to where this team is, is heading into the postseason. you know, having a bottom six that can contribute offensively and be trusted by the head coach, the way that, you know, the bottom two lines, not just the Bluger line, but, you know, the the line with Hoaglander and, and Lafferty on it as well, you know, how much that he, re- he trusts them and relies on them and how all those guys are basically having career years offensively, that gives you confidence with this team going into a playoff series because, you know, other teams are going to have star players, no matter who you face, whether it's Edmonton, whether it's Vegas, you know, whoever they might end up getting, in the postseason, but oftentimes it's who has the greater depth, who has guys that can contribute offensively down their lineup that has a chance to win the series. And, you know, the Oilers are obviously on an incredible heater right now, but let's use them as an example. If your top players can limit McDavid and Dreisaitl to some extent or match them in terms of offensive production, then I like the way the Canucks look in a playoff series against an Oilers team like that. You know, first of all, because you'll take the edge in goaltending, but maybe most importantly, because you trust your depth players more than, than I think the Oilers probably would. And you can get more out of guys that are playing further down your lineup than, than many other teams could. So, you know, that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch for me going forward is whether that bottom six could be a game changer for this team once they get into the postseason, because if it can be, and if talk, continues to trust those lines to play in key situations and they continue to produce with, you know, not necessarily the most ice time. Like I think Connor Garland's still averaging under 14 minutes a night. We know Niels Hoaglander in that fourth line don't get big minutes, but they've been producing offensively when given the opportunity, if they can carry that into the really tough out for any team, that they face in the postseason.
0: You're listening to the best of Halford and Brough.